This is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. Welcome today to Spark My Muse, everybody. Today, my guest is Fu Lu, a theologian, philosopher, teacher, and artist working in Houston and creating a place where his work, art, and philosophy and theology intersect. We're going to be speaking about his book, Jesus of the East, Reclaiming the Gospel for the Wounded, giving a synopsis of Jesus of the East. Much of Western Christianity has greatly toned down the narrative of Jesus who was a Palestinian Jewish healer and liberator, who was a servant to the sick and the oppressed. And this oversight was due to the theological debates that were fought and won by religious leaders who were politically powerful and rhetorically savvy. The result is our contemporary Western version of Jesus, who served to satisfy the anger of a punitive God, a great law enforcer. As a contemporary theologian and philosopher, Lou wants to offer a viable counter-narrative, one that reinforces Jesus as the healer of the sinned against, the ones broken by the powerful seeking absolution for their misdeeds. Pulling from both the tradition of the early Eastern Church and the present work of the theologians of the oppressed, Jesus of the East serves as a guidebook to deconstruct the God language of the West and creates a transformative vision of healing for the world. And I just wanted to say to the listeners that I'm very thankful for Jesus of the East and this work. It's going to be referenced in the book that I'm writing that's coming out in April. And I found it to be incredibly helpful, not just for my book, but there are so many things and there's so many insights. And I'm going to read some of the chapter titles to just give a sense of what's in the book. Chapter one is vision. Chapter two is birth beginnings in the body. Chapter three is Sinner, Sin, Han, and the Mission of Jesus. Chapter four is God Against the Machine. Chapter five, Healing from the Depths of Woundedness. Six is The Death of Death. And seven is The Birth of Kingdom. So thank you so much for sharing some of your time with me. And thank you so much for your book. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. One of the things that uh, you start off right away is talking about how the Jesus of the West is kind of a distorted image of who Jesus really was in history. And there is a, there's a kind of shift that happened with empire Christianity. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So what we have for the most part here in the West and, uh, in North America is a, a version of Jesus that we inherited from uh, Constantine, from mm -hmm. those Roman wars uh, uh, fought, uh, really fought against uh, brothers in order to establish the Roman Empire, which later became uh, the Holy Roman Empire. So here was uh, a emperor uh, who uh, was, and in the book I distinguish between sinners, okay, mm -hmm. those who commit acts of sin against mm -hmm. others, and the sin against. And here was someone who committed these acts of sin, you know, waging mm -hmm. war, and uh, adopted a religion 
uh, a religion that was originally a religion of the persecuted and mm. took that religion and made it a religion for the sinner. So in other words, here uh, was uh, a religion where the Messiah, uh, the leader of uh, this, this movement, uh, was crucified, was hung on a cross, uh, was killed by the political order, by the religious order. Mm. And uh, that religion, the religion of the persecuted, was taken. And the symbol, the cross that Constantine uh, saw became his symbol. Uh, mm. He took he took the, the symbol of torture, the symbol of death, execution, state execution, and made it into his symbol, right? Mm. And then he took another step and made it into the religion of the sinners. And so here is where uh, the church gets involved. The church becomes a place of absolution of sin. You know, mm. you go to church. Uh, the church holds uh, the means of grace to forgive you of your sins, right? Mm -hmm. And you are absolved of those sins, and then uh, you're forgiven. Uh, but the question, the big question is, uh, what then happens to the sin against? What happens to mm -hmm. those who are on the hurting side of the sword, of Constantine's sword? Yeah. And that's, that's uh, where um, the, the whole difficulty is. Uh, that's what we have inherited in the West. And so this takes place in almost every church, any given Sunday. Mm -hmm. You could go into the church and the priest, um, she would uh, lead us in a confession of sin. Or if it's an evangelical church, you would walk the altar, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you would confess your sins to God. And you would be forgiven either by mm -hmm. pray a prayer or a sinner prayer or whatever it is. And you would be absolved. Um, but then the question again is left, what about the sin against? What about the people in whom we have hurt? What about the, the consequences of that sin? Mm. What about the environment in which we created because of that sin? All the low relationships that um, that are involved in that sin. So that was sort of my starting point to sort of reframe the narrative of of Jesus. Yeah, one of the things I had never heard of, and also referenced a little bit in my book too, um, is this idea that came from. Korea and indigenous theology there, the idea of Han and, and what mm -hmm. we're speaking about, what you just spoke about with um, coming from Andrew Sung Park. Uh, maybe you can describe a little bit how Han works, the idea of it, and some of the Minjung theology. Okay, yeah. So Minjung theology is uh, called that because uh, in Korean, uh, it means uh, the people's theology. And it goes back to this idea that Jesus's ministry is to the people, the crowds or the aklos in Greek, right? So, you know, you open up your mm -hmm. New Testament, your 
and read the Gospels and you see Jesus uh, spent a lot of time with the crowds. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, some from the crowds became his disciples, um, but he uh, he spent his time, his work, um, his ministry among uh, the people. And so Korean Mingjung theology uh, developed in the uh, early 60s and 70s to uh, help bring healing to the people. Uh, Korea, like Vietnam, has had a long history of uh, conquests and conquerors. You know, uh, the Japanese, uh, even, you know, we remember the Korean War, um, uh, a civil war between brothers, North and South, just like in Vietnam. Um, uh, Vietnam um, has that history of conquest. And so this idea of Han is the idea of this wound, this deep woundedness uh, that is almost untranslatable, but mm. but it, it's like a resentment, a sore, um, and it has not been justified. In other words, it has not been spoken to. And, and so this... Um, is a part of Korean culture. If you watch um, any of the older episodes of Anthony Bourdain's Parts yeah. Unknown, you know, he'll visit Korea, and I think he does this twice. And uh, he loves Korea and Vietnam, uh, but he'll talk about Han. Mm. Uh, and he'll talk about this this uh, this need for vengeance, okay? Mm. Uh, if not uh, treated. And so... so uh, Han is is that is that uh, hurt that deep woundedness uh, that is a result of uh, the sinner, okay? Mm -hmm. The sinner doing acts you know, towards uh, towards others and therefore produces the sin against uh, who suffer this Han. And so uh, Minjong theology shows where Jesus, okay, his purpose and mission in life was to bring healing. To the Han of his people of mm -hmm. Israel, and 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 therefore bring healing to all the world. But it starts with a certain particular people at mm -hmm. a particular time at a particular place, and those things are just absolutely very important. Mm -hmm. That we we heal those people in particular, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and if we don't, uh, we we will not be able to to uh, heal the rest of the world and the rest of the cosmos. Mm. One of the things that seems so insightful to me as I'm reading about Han for the first time, too, is that this sin sickness, this this kind of thing that's sort of embedded in from, from sin that affects all of us can also be sown into the land you talk about. Mm -hmm. and, yes. and that's what happened in the United States with genocide of the Native Americans, with mm. slavery, with diaspora from Africa, this kind of, and some people call it probably in, in the same sort of way, America's original sin, oppression and and hateful, evil things done to different groups, sowing this injustice and oppression in to the land itself and the people themselves. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's remarkable about the Hebrew Bible is that Oh, you get a narrative where uh, you, you have these uh, creation stories, right? And and where the second creation story, um, uh, God 
you know, makes uh, humanity out of the dust, right? Uh, Adam mm-hmm. from Adama, right? Uh, mm-hmm. hu- humans uh, from the dust, from hummus, as uh, Robert Alter says. And, uh, and so, so we are instrictly bound to this earth, you know, this universe, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you no, know, scientifically, we know that, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're a part of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then you get the story and I'm a high school teacher. So, you know, we read mm-hmm. these stories often and, and, and several weeks ago um, I had my, my uh, youngsters read it, but uh, you know, the first act of violence against each other is one where, you know, it's brother against brother. And what happens, um, the, uh, the ground, right, uh, mm. receives um, Abel's blood and cries out, mm. right? And cries out. Mm. You know, it, it is like, deeply wounded also. It's mm. deeply wounded, hurt, right? And mm. the blood of Abel cries out. Because why? It, it, the, the act of violence has not been spoken for. Oh, yeah. You know, Cain is one who wanders the earth, but he's protected. Eventually, he receives a mark. He's protected. He wanders mm-hmm. the earth, but but that has not been spoken for, mm-hmm. and 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 so so the earth, you know, uh, cries out and longs, and so you know, so we get in the New Testament, like all creation longs, you know, mm-hmm. you know, to be unified, you know, to be uh, brought together. And, and so it's this long, it's this ache uh, t- to Hill Han that again, you know, uh, we, we, we have um, in, in, in the gospel narratives, we have played out. Yeah. We were talking about this before I recorded, but I definitely don't want to um, skip it or gloss over it. Uh, you're, you were raised in Houston, but mm-hmm. you were Vietnamese American and came over after the Vietnam War with your family, along with... 4.5 million overseas or Vietnamese or sojourners that came over seeking political and economic asylum. And that's deeply part of your story. And also being othered, um, being American, but also being considered other and not really being part of Vietnam anymore as a, a native country you know, citizen, countrymen of that place. Uh, and that plays into your story as well mm-hmm. in the book. And and I'm sure in the way you are understanding God's love and um, what Jesus is up to, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so I think the starting point of that in terms of theology, you talk about God's love, is this mm-hmm. idea that God is a migratory God. God mm. is consistently and constantly moving um, mm. into our places um, to be with us, moving into our neighborhoods, as Eugene Peterson writes in, in the message, or mm. moving into um, our world in order to inha- to share space, to inhabit space with us because of God's deep love for us. Mm-hmm. And like my immigration story is a story of yes, it's a story of of being a refugee because of the war and being forced to move, mm-hmm. uh, but also finding um, trying to find places where uh, I see God 
being and and moving um, in the lives of people. And so, so I, I think those two things I try to sort of build around those intersections in my book. You know, um, I, I think my book has a lot of those sorts of intersections, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and I wanted to show how you know the history of theology is also a history of God migrating into spaces to be with us. Sometimes, you know, we are the ones that uh, most often do not flee from God <laughs> when he moves in. You know, <laughs> mm. it's like, who are those neighbors moving in across the street? Yeah. Of course, we don't see that as God. We don't see that mm. as divine. You know, we mm. sometimes we wonder if our property values are going down or, or, mm. or whatever. But uh, all that is God's movement. Mm-hmm. I try and build around that concept of, of God inhabiting these places. Ultimately, you know, seen in that image of the incarnate God, you know, moving into our flesh, our bones, our body, our emotions, mm-hmm. our experiences all who we are in order to stand with us and be with us. Mm. I love the part in your book around page 165, and you talk about love changing God, that all true love involves the risky possibility of being forsaken by the other. And that's something that God does with us and for us. And God is really seen you could say God is really seen the most in maybe the riskiest mm. people that, that may be forsaken the most. I think for those of us who lead a relatively unencumbered life or we don't have to think about being extremely marginalized, we have to think in, in those terms, I think liberation theology teaches us too, that God's preferential option for the poor, God's commitment to the poor mm-hmm. and the marginalized and the ones who are really, really suffering for because of oppression or being under the thumb of, of some government or some group. And that is actually where God's heart, the soft spot of God's heart mm. is, the softest spot perhaps. One of the things I wanted to ask you too, you talk about atonement theories and there's theology talk in there, there's atonement talk in there, but it's all very accessible. It was really interesting to me how you talk about different ideas of atonement. And we have a a very entrenched view in the West about crime and punishment. And you talk about this around page 154 about different ideas of atonement and the, the holy of holies and scapegoating and and some of these other ways of understanding atonement that doesn't have to do with God's wrath and escaping God's anger, uh, but that there's earlier ways of understanding, earlier ways of atonement um, and understanding those things, mm-hmm. a variety of ways of understanding it. And 
of course, you can't go into everything that's in the book, but maybe just give a taste of some of the things you're driving at there. Yeah. Uh, and and there are many books on atonement uh, that mm-hmm. has become a very popular subject. Yeah. And still recently, you know, very popular. And I try not to explore that debate too much and, and give resources. Uh, Bradley Jerzyk uh, has a, a great book on uh, atonement. And, uh, and I, I would want listeners to check out uh, his book. What I do talk about in terms of this idea of atonement, and atonement is a very sort of a biblical word or it's, mm. it's not it's not one uh, expressly seen in the Bible. it's a latin word uh that's used to mm-hmm. translate a hebrew idea of kipper and already even saying that is fraught with all sorts of things so we have the notion of like sacrificial death death of an animal the necessity for that which again if we look at at Jesus's life and his ministry, and then we look at the earliest church fathers, which are the Eastern fathers, and their expression of of what Jesus's death meant. Mm-hmm. It never had to do with God's need to inflict punishment on anyone. Mm-hmm. It had to do primarily with trying to deal with the evil in this world mm. and the death that that runs its course in this world and that's why i you know i i talk this death of death but the tidbits of atonement that i try to express in my work is simply the the notion that one from the eastern fathers that uh jesus's life was to deal with this idea of death and try to bring healing to people who are hurting. Again, this is going back to Jesus' ministry, like literally healing people and bringing them back from the dead, okay? Dealing with death, okay? Dealing with uh, the, the diseases and sicknesses that lead to death and dealing with Death dealing things. I saw that you're a fan of Parker Palmer. He talks a lot about death dealing practices in our life, but there's ways in which, you know, we have an environment that's death dealing, ways in which we demonize mm-hmm. people, yeah. ways in which we other people, ways in which we exclude people. And so those are all death dealing things. And so Jesus's ministry and his life was to deal with those things, become a physician for those things. And his death, his execution on the cross was a result of that mission in life. Mm. That he ran up against the religious and political authorities that saw that Jesus's um, welfare state, no, Jesus care, instead of Obamacare, Jesus care uh, was in defiance of the political and religious order. That's why he died. That's why he was executed. He subverted the so-called care and protections and so forth. The kingdom of Rome provided or the uh, religious 
order or orthodoxy um, sought to provide. The early church fathers, the Eastern fathers uh, like Irenaeus, they were very keen on picking up on this. And even Irenaeus in his, I guess, heresies work, his magnum opus, he uh, was adamant in saying that when Jesus died, that was to liberate humanity. His image was that we were all trapped by evil. He would call it the devil, the apostate one. But we were all trapped, need liberation. Jesus offered his life in order to trick Satan and say, hey, you know, those people are trapped. My people are trapped. I'll give my life to free them. Take me instead. The devil thought that that was a better deal. Freed us, took Jesus, killed Jesus. But Jesus said, uh-huh, uh, who has the last laugh? I do because I'll so conquer death. So uh, that was their story and their image. You know, uh, I'm not sure anyone like took it literally like that. But they wanted to describe it in that way. Why? So that so that they made sure in their literature that we knew that this wasn't about God's anger towards us, that mm -hmm. God needed to do this in any way, mm -hmm. that God's mission was to, to hang Jesus on the cross, kill Jesus so that we are forgiven of our sins, so God is not mad at us anymore, is not there in the earliest writings of these theologians. And also, it's hard to see in the gospel narratives of Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Jesus starts out his ministry with the Isaiah, mm -hmm. um, you know, set the captives free, the lame will walk, the blind will see, and I will appease the Father's wrath. It's not in there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When, when the, the, you know, I have the story of the, I retell the story of the prodigal son, right? And, mm -hmm. yeah. and, uh, and I, maybe this is too much to give, give away by the book, read it again. But, uh, you know, at the end of the story, it doesn't go, uh, the father was pissed off that the son spent all his money and then, uh, took the older brother out and sacrificed the older brother uh, so that the son could come back into the house. You yeah, know? Somebody had to die. Somebody yeah, died. Yeah, somebody right? had to pay. Somebody <laughs> had to die. Yeah, and right. and, and it, it, even if you notice that the son, okay, the younger son, who is the prodigal of the story, mm -hmm. spends all his money, um, and he considers himself a sinner, right? He says, you know, mm -hmm. Father, forgive me. I'm, I'm a sinner. Mm -hmm. Even the father does not say that at all. He does not repeat the son's words. Right. The father says, okay, to the older brother, he says, uh, but your brother, he once was lost, okay, and now he is found. Mm -hmm. And he says, and he was dead, mm -hmm. and now he's alive. Yeah. And this idea of being lost, Jesus tells two more stories of being lost. If you got lost, if you're in the, the woods and you got lost and then you found your way out or I came and rescued you, mm -hmm. would I say you got lost because you're a sinner? 
right? Well, you deserve yeah, punishment you, now. Now you, you should be punished. punishment. <laughs> right, right. Okay, you left your GPS at home or whatever. Right. You deserve punishment. Right. That's just absolutely ridiculous to me. I don't, yeah. I don't understand any of those notions. And mm-hmm. I try to sort of uh, re-narrate or, or tell the story of how we got. That's mm-hmm. sort of the first part of the book. You know, how did we get into this situation where mm-hmm. where we we see God in this way, uh, in this way that uh, is ultimately very detrimental because one of the implications of that is our penal system, you know? Exactly. Yeah, we have a penal substitutionary view of atonement. God is a punishing God. And it's been well documented that this penal substitutionary view uh, goes back to England and and the Reformation and those views of an angry God. And now we have a state, a government that says the way in which you atone for your sins Mm -hmm. is what? Punishment. Right, right. (laughs) Someone has to... Die or get yeah something something yeah. has to happen and it it's really interesting too you you talk about on one sixty four you say does punishment destroy sin you talk about on page one fifty five violence as a solution and the myth of sanctioned violence and it is so ingrained in our in our American Western ideas of how problems get solved oh they must be evil so let's be violent. An evil back, or whatever, you know. As yes, if, exactly. Let's continue that cycle of yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's and it's like, well, obviously that hasn't really helped. If that had helped, <laughs> wouldn't we have no sinning and no crime? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we have absolute peace and right. you know, tranquility, and no, we no that that yeah, you're absolutely it right. Lisa. Doesn't that, heal anything. No, and, and and it's remarkable how how wrong we've gotten it and the solution has been well we got to build more prisons i guess mm-hmm. it's really interesting instead of healing and reconciliation and restoration it's like well let's put the hammer down i think a lot of people who grew up you know going to church attending church uh who have had religious education in some form or another Kind of have that sense that all that, the elimination of sin, forgiveness, uh, yeah, all that is sort of reserved, you know, to the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And um, but if if those things cannot happen now, okay, mm. uh, then I don't know. I don't know if our Christianity has really worked. Yeah, if if you if I'm making sense. Yeah, what's mm-hmm. the point of life on earth? And why why is Jesus' ministry recorded? Why bother with yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why not just have hung up Jesus in the first place, or or like after Jesus is 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 born, you know, uh, uh-huh. the the eight pounds six ounce right. you know, baby Jesus, right. you know, being born. Why did not God send someone to? To yeah. plunge a dagger into his heart. Yeah, Herod and was already he after him, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Let Herod kill him. Yeah. Then, yeah, then he'll atone for our sins and etc. Hmm. etc. Et you know. So anyway. Well, is there anything that you'd like readers or 
hopefully potential readers and listeners of this show to know about your book or a, a little tidbit or last bit of wisdom before we go? I think, uh, if anything, I want it, like you said, Lisa, you know, we've talked theological for a good bit, but I, I want readers to know that this book um, is fairly accessible mm-hmm. to the non-theological reader. Mm-hmm. I try to infuse it with as much narrative as possible, not because these are illustrations of my points and they work. Uh, maybe sometimes I do that. But to show that theology is not sort of a privatized academic thing, is a conversation, like mm-hmm. conversation we're having now, and a conversation that readers will have every day uh, among their friends, among uh, their family members, uh, whenever we think about God and speak about God, those words we're using, those words are theology or theological words. Our lives are permeated mm. with theology and, and that thinking about and talking about God. And so I do want this to be something that will appeal to those interested in finding new language around it. You know, mm. if we're going to speak about it, finding new language, ways to enter into this because it is a part of all of our lives, whether we, we are believers or not, whether we're Christian or not, whether we're Muslim or Hindus or even atheists. Atheists, that term has the word God in it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't think it matters that mm. much. Yeah, we're we're talking not just about a mental exercise or an abstraction. We're talking about something that we live out and we do mm-hmm. live out our beliefs. Whatever we're saying, we actually are living out our beliefs, what we actually believe. This is a great book. There's so much in there. We barely scratched the surface at all, but I'm, I'm hoping people will read it. This is Jesus of the East Reclaiming the Gospel for the Wounded by Fu Lu. And I will have all the show notes will be available that you can click all the links. This is with Harold Press. And I really appreciate speaking with you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Lisa.